In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hey everyone, it is so good to be back with you again today as we are uh, continuing this 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm very excited about our uh, guest today, Alan White. Alan uh, is the real deal. He walks it, he talks it, and I've gotten to know him for a long time. I've seen his ministry, and I can just vouch that uh, you'll see why at the end of this, why we were excited about having him on. Uh, He has a a unique perspective on a lot of things. So welcome, Alan. Thanks, Mark, to be here. Um, Looking forward to talking about discipleship and ministry and life and all the things that we share in common. And we do have a lot in common. We love to snow ski, and you just got back. I did, yes. I'm fortunate to be able to go with my dad. We've been going for 15 years. I learned to ski in high school, and it just kind of became our our annual guy's trip. Wow. we abandon all of our wives and leave them here with the kids while we go skiing in Colorado for a week. It's kind of wonderful. My um, respect for your wife is going up even <laughs> as we talk, right? Yeah, especially considering they had a snow day, so she had all three kids at home with her oh. by herself this week. So um, I, I had a great time skiing, though. Uh, well, and I see no casts on you, so that's that's a plus. No, no more broken legs for when me. you get to my age, yeah, the key of uh, was it a good trip is if nothing hurts. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, we're going we're to talk about discipleship, of course. You've been working with students and families for a long time, and I want to hear all about that. But first, uh, kind of tell folks a little bit about you and your family. It's pretty unique. Sure, sure. I grew up uh, with a twin sister named Rebecca and then went off to college and met a pretty little ginger uh, in college named Carrie and found out that she was also a twin, which was my pickup line. Uh, so I went up to her and said, so you're a twin too. And I had a beard and she said, I like your beard. And we went to lunch <laughs> and here we are 13 years later with three kids. So I have a nine-year-old who's in third grade and a seven-year-old in first grade. And then we have a not a newborn anymore. He just turned one last week. Uh, so we got one, seven, and nine. So we're all across the parenting spectrum and um, Carrie and I have been doing youth ministry together since 2001 when we started dating. We were working part-time in a church in Cleveland, right, Tennessee, right. um, and then I've worked as a full-time youth pastor in Ackworth and now here at Mount Pisgah for the past 10 years, and Carrie's been my my partner in crime and has been involved in the youth ministry before we had kids in a super deep level. Um, and then since we've had kids, she's still kind of the in the background matriarch of the youth ministry, and she's involved with her own women's group, and so it's, it's just a joy to do ministry alongside your mm-hmm. spouse um, and to learn from each other in that process, to be encouraged in that process. Mm-hmm. You have um, a real partner, don't you? I do, I do. And and and, and because of that, then we kind of stumble onto things to do with our kids. I, I'd, I'd love to say that we wrote out a plan uh, for how to raise our kids, but we didn't, as most parents don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But we've stumbled into some really cool things. We started doing this memory verse thing just two weeks ago um, where we, they were quizzing me, my kids, while we were going to bed. They wanted to know if I knew a verse from every book of the Bible. Oh. I said, well, I said, uh, guiltily, I, you're going to have to skip over the first two thirds. I said, but once you get to the New Testament, I bet well, I can name You are a preacher, one. so you should know this stuff, <laughs> I right? should know this stuff. So I said, I'll tell you what, why don't we start with the New Testament? I bet I can give you a verse from every New Testament book. And sure enough, I had one for everybody, every every book but Titus. I didn't have a memory verse from Titus. And then Reed, my seven-year-old, said, I want to do that. Like, I want to have a verse. And so, okay, oh. let's start in Matthew. And so we picked up with Matthew 634. Um which is that do not worry about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, today has enough worries of its own. Um, and and so, he's how old? And he's seven. Wow. Um, and he thought that was cool, and so he's been pulling that out this week. He used it one time as a weapon against my wife because um, <laughs> she was saying that they were running late for school. He said, now, Mom, remember, 
do not worry about today. Yeah. Because for tomorrow, for today has enough worries of its own. And so he's like, mm, get your shoes on. Don't, don't um, you love yeah. it when your kids use the Bible against you? Oh, you know yeah. you're really progressing yes, as a parent. Yes, when that happens, yeah. yeah. I, I grounded him one time and he threw Joshua 1 9 in my face. Um, so. But it is nice that we got it on our fridge, and so last night, even as we were going to bed, they said, Dad, what's our new memory verse? And so we've got to pick one out tonight for for this upcoming week since I've been out of town, but that's been kind of a new thing in our family that Carrie and I, we've been doing it for years with our adult groups, and said, it might make sense to do this with our children, too. You reminded me of the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, about, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and and then love... Your ne- you know, and teach these things to your children. Mm-hmm. Write right? them so, on your doorposts and bind them on your foreheads. Yeah. And, yeah. and you lie down, and as you go to mm-hmm. walk to school, walk to the bus. I mean, it, that's a loose interpretation. But right. <laughs> so not only are you discipling men, uh, you, you're discipling families, you're discipling your own family, mm-hmm. uh, which is critical. And so, Accumid, how long have you been working with students now? I mean, I heard you share the numbers, but. I've been in some form of paid youth ministry position since 2000, so 18 years. I did it part-time for the first five years when I was finishing high school, going through college, and then full-time since I got out of college in 2005. So about half my lifetime I've been working with students. How about that? And um, this concept that we're we're talking to, our listeners today are are interested, um, well, I'm assuming that I know what they're interested in, maybe I don't, but. (laughs) Uh, they they tuned in because it said disciple makers. And what I know that you know is that disciple making and discipleship are varied. They're different. They're the same, two ways to look at kind of the same thing. And uh, so in your experience of working with specifically teenagers for so long, uh, what have you found that works in when it comes to uh, discipleship, helping them grow? And what does discipleship mean to you? I, I think... What I've discovered in my ministry with students especially, and in my own life, is there is there's some, I don't want to call them formulas, there, there are some practices that we can put in place and some disciplines, um, but when we make it all about the disciplines, it, it loses its, its, its feel, its heart. Um, I don't think God ever wanted to speak just to our heads. I also don't think He ever wanted to speak just to our hearts. And so, you know, we have those emotional moments perhaps in worship, which are wonderful, that guide our, our, our hearts, I would say. Um, but sometimes maybe we take discipleship too much on the academic perspective. Um, and so I know I saw that in my own life in which I didn't really engage a lot in spiritual disciplines on my own until I had my own men's group hmm. um, because I would I would study – and this is you know, kind of shaming of me. I spent four years in full-time youth ministry in which I would read Scripture – for the sole purpose of teaching others scripture. Yeah, they, um, they needed to know this stuff, right? Exactly. And I learned things in that process. <laughs> yeah. But my discipleship was learning the scripture so I could teach them, never yeah. just for the sake of my own discipleship. Right. Um, and so I think with students, the same way is uh, so many times it's, okay, they're in school and they ask the regular question, when am I going to need this? Yes, they take algebra. Am I going to need this for the test? Am I going to need this for the test? Why do I need to learn this right now? And so I think approaching discipleship from a perspective of you you don't know when you're going to need it, right? This is just for you. This is for your development, which is an abstract concept when Mm -hmm. you're talking to people that are in school and their lives revolve around, you know, I I train for the fitness test so I can try out for the soccer team, so I can make the soccer team, so I can start, so I can get a position, so I can get a scholarship, and the same thing academically. I study for the test. I learn the concept so I can get a good grade on the test, so I can make the SAT score, so I can get into the good college. Because of that cultural system that exists, it, that gets applied to discipleship. Hmm. Uh, and so I think trying to peel the onion back a little bit and show them that it's really more about God developing your own heart. And in that process, he oh, develops wow. your mind and your character. 
Yeah. Um, but that's a difficult thing to to teach to a 13, 14, 15-year-old because we as adults have a tough time with it. Um, so I, I think teaching them spiritual practices and, and modeling for them ways in which to engage in their relationship with Christ and giving them some simple tools to use, I think that on the teen level is discipleship. And what I found in working with their parents is their parents are further down the road life-wise, but in some cases their parents are not as far down the road as them faith-wise. Um, I, I don't think spiritual maturity has an age limit Mm-mm. or an age to it. No, you? it doesn't. I, I know I did youth ministry for a long time too, and uh, I would see teenagers who were way more spiritual than their parents. Absolutely. Uh, of course, I never told the parents that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, parents had more worldly wisdom, but they didn't. They had never applied these principles to their life and said, "Teach me, Lord." It, it also sounds to me like you're you're straying them from a to do list to a to be list. Yes. And I, I agree with you. I think from soccer or academics, there's all these things you have to do, and they come into church, and you, well, this is what you need to do, mm-hmm. and you never really take time to think, well, who has God created me to be? Right. And so, um, in your experience with, um, well, with not just teenagers, but men, fathers, um, I know that you've learned a lot. How did you get into uh, really surrendering your life to Christ and trusting God for, you know, with your life? I think if I could pinpoint some major moments, they would be the the summer after my sophomore year of high school. I had gone through a typical high school uh, year of of a straight into all the things that high schoolers and teenagers get themselves into, from substances to relationships, all of those types of things. I'd grown up in the church, but at the end of that year, through a whole myriad of circumstances, I'd come to understand that the only healthy way for me to live was to live following after Christ. Um, I tried other things. I tried you know, the, the relationships. I tried the substances. I tried the, the social standing, all of those types of things. And all of those things crumbled around me that year, um, which was great. It was it was a refining fire type of moment. And so at the end of the year, I said, okay, it's just, it's, it's me and God left hmm. um, based on... You That's know, pretty young to this learn what I can that. depend on. Um, everybody else can let you down. Um, my parents were still in my corner where that's who I would say was still left kind of in my life supporting me at that point, but I'd made a lot of bad decisions. And so a lot of the consequences I was suffering were, they were my own fault. Um, mm. but to see that the healthy way, the, um, that's where when I think of, of, of Christ and, 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 and salvation, I think of it less about eternal life and more about abundant life. Mm. Um, and so for me, that's, what's always stuck is, is life with Christ is not always easy, but it is worth it. Yeah. Um, and so it's less about here's my 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 punch card into heaven, and here more this is my life model for having a healthy and a full life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it hasn't been perfect since then. So that was a big moment. And then I would say the next big moment was again I'd been doing youth ministry for several years at this point, and was challenged uh, by a mentor of mine that if I'm going to be encouraging people to get into small groups and to be in discipleship, I should be in that process as well. Um, and I said, well, I am doing these things. And I, of course, I'm discipling students, but I, I'd never been in a, a a specific. This is just for me. I'm not. I don't. I'm not wearing my professional youth ministry hat. I'm in this as Alan White, the young man. Hmm. Um, and so I joined a group. Um, I guess my second here year at Pisca, maybe in 2010. And that group was a group of guys that were all in our mid to late 20s. And most of us had been in small groups in high school and our youth groups or whatever or in college maybe. Um, this is the first time though that there was accountability. What was the um, purpose of this group? I, I think it was just to give us spiritual direction, honestly, uh. um, to give us some kind of pathway. I think most of us had grown up in the system of we were all involved with our church youth groups. Some of us had gone into youth ministry. Some of us were still involved in youth ministry as volunteers. But 
we had never really considered what does it look like to intentionally pursue our own relationship with Christ, hmm. not for the sake of building some kind of you know spiritual badge system, um, but just that we'd reached this plateau in which going to church and you know being a quote unquote good Christian was no longer cutting it for being able to feel like we were moving forward in our relationship with Christ. Dawns on us eventually, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. What dawned on me was that Christianity is a team sport. Right. And, you know, you really can't just do it. Jesus never asked us to do it on our own. He came and put 12 guys together and modeled a small group. Right. And then yet we think we can do it other ways. You know? Do it in but a vacuum. You do it in a vacuum mm-hmm. and um, or do it with a professional label. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a team sport, isn't it? Yeah. And that was the danger, I think, like you said, the professional label of, you know, I'm supposed to already know this stuff, I think was always my idea, um, versus how you're supposed to know something until you learn it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I think getting in a group and, and the group not being for the sake of professional development or anything, but just for my own development yeah. and the development of the other men in the group. That was, was one it a of the place that you decisions. could just be real? Yeah. I mean, because I didn't, I, you know, again, like if I'm sharing my personal faith story, there are certain students I might share more details with. But if I get up in front of a big crowd of 12 to 18-year-olds, yeah. I'm not sharing the nitty-gritty details of that because they're not age-appropriate right. for a sixth grader. Because yeah. um, I've gone through some things that are more on the adult end of things um, when I think about my sophomore year. And, and so, so I have to, and even since then, you know, you know, you get into marriage and, and you, you, know, you want to share your marriage, but you don't share your, you know, oh man, I'm, I'm, my, my spouse and I are at odds over this one issue. You don't share that with a 13-year-old. Right. Um, you know, and so your, your students, when you're in ministry, I see this as, an, as a... A lot of youth ministers, especially young youth ministers, I think look at their students as their peers and their friends. Oh wow! Um, and that's dangerous. It, it is, and and I am absolutely there to be an adult friend for the students in our youth ministry, but they're not my friends. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a cruel way, but what I mean is I don't depend on them as my friends. Right. I don't need them to hold me accountable. I don't need them to to give me love and and, and social acceptance. I have that from my peers. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I see too that'd many be youth, codependent, wouldn't it? It would be, and, yeah. I, and that's a that's a really dangerous setback I see in a lot of youth pastors is wow. as they become attached to their students as this is my my small group. Um, but you're never going to be challenged though by that. And so getting yeah. with a group of men in which they're in the same life phase as you, you can challenge each other and hold each other accountable. So here's what I hear from pastors that I work with around is like, well, Mark, I yeah, I get it. I need to be in a small group, with my peers, and I need to be vulnerable and honest and all that kind of stuff. But I can't do that in my own church because I can't. And it's like I'm saying, you can't be honest in your own with your own people, right? You know, and and so I, I mean, I'm being sarcastic, but were you? Did you find that that was a hurdle you couldn't get over, or did were you able to get over that? That you could literally share your heart and your hurts with people that were in your church. I think that's a good thing. You, can, I can see. I've been in a men's group now for the past eight years, and it's, it's a different men's group, not the same guys I've been with for eight years. Um, but it started out with all guys that were my age. Roughly, but I was the oldest in the group by maybe a couple of years. I was the only one with kids. Um, at that point, there was only two of us that were married. Now, when we were together over those four years, most of the group got married. A few of the other ones had kids. Um, so I think that because those guys weren't in my circle of ministry, none of them had teenagers. And so it's not like if I shared anything in the group, I was worried about the 23-year-old sharing my deep, dark secrets with the 40-year-old parents that are in our student ministry. So gotcha. I had enough separation, I think, to be to be able to be vulnerable and honest. And now I'm in a men's group where some of the guys in my group do have students in our youth ministry, but I've been doing it long enough to where I, I just trust that what's set, is, what's said in group stays in group. 
Yeah. Um, and so I have that level of, of, of faith and some of that's just growing up, I think, on my part. Yeah, it, I think it's a real hurdle for pastors, for people in professional ministry to think that they can, they don't have to be in just a group with other pastors that's not in their community. I'd rather not be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I had to... I had to swallow that as well, and I found that once I did, it was life-changing for me, mm-hmm. um, too, to just be vulnerable. You know, Brene Brown, we, we talk about some of her stuff sometimes, and she says that vulnerability is the ultimate sign of courage. And when we can be vulnerable with people, they don't see that as weakness. Right. They see it as courageous. And they think, wow, if this guy's struggling with that, and I am, then I'm not, you know, the loser, or the weak, or the freak that, I, that I've always felt like because I didn't share with anybody. So I want to commend you on on coming to that realization that, God's called you in your community, in your church, to make disciples right there. And you're not going to think you got to go out somewhere else to do that. I mean, you can, but not exclusively. So right. you're li- that's, what I mean. that's what I mean by you're living it out. Yeah, and you said the word my church. And I think when I look at those of us that are in professional ministry, the, there's a transition that happens, I think, when you're in a small group and you have that accountability with people that are at your church, that then it goes from being, this is my place of work, that this is my church. Mm. You know, I talk about Mount Pisgah. This is this is where I get a paycheck. This is where I come to work, and I'm, I'm professional here, and I have responsibilities and duties. But at the same time, this is my family's church. My kids are in the children's ministry. My youngest is in the nursery ministry. My wife is in the women's ministry and leads a small group. And so being in a men's group, it makes me see this place so much broader as this is my church too. Yeah. Um, and so having men that are in our church that when I go upstairs or I'm downstairs and, and I'm sitting in the pews, I'm seeing guys that I see every Thursday morning. Um, there's value to that. There's some vulnerability to that. Oh yeah, there is. Because now you got to get up and preach, and you got to you got to preach, and these guys know yeah. uh, that you know you're not always perfect about the thing that you're preaching on. Yeah, um, and that's a convicting thing. Um, yeah, but it's a real place to be. And it is. It's it real is. men with your real heart and your real issues. What are some of the? Uh, so you said you're in a group with got younger guys, and now you're in a. You're in a covenant group or a discipleship mm-hmm. group. What do you determine is the difference between, say, I don't know, a men's Bible study, and those are great, um, to a men's you know discipleship group? What's the difference? I think it, for men especially, I think it comes down to the level of vulnerability. Um, I, I think each group that we've started as, we may have labeled ourselves as a discipleship group, covenant group, or whatever, but I think it took time. I think most men's groups are going to start as a Bible study. Because it's easy for us to begin with our heads and say, okay, we're going to study the book of, of of Romans, or we're going to do the five steps to spiritual growth, or we're going to do uh, the training of the 12. And these are all great curriculums, yeah. but I think we started with it from a study mindset. But the more honest and vulnerable you get with each other, the the more open the conversation becomes. So for me, it's it's mm-hmm. how much of your life are you allowing to be infused into the group? And then how much of the group and the stuff you're learning are you allowing to then be infused into your life? Hmm. And that's the level of discipleship that you're going to experience versus a uh, just a Bible study. And those, are, again, are great, but a lot of times those are going to be more academic versus these are more life-focused. I mean, today we only had three men show up because half of our group ended up being traveling for work this week. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't just call group. Um, we actually ended up talking about what is it like to to be Christian men as we watch our parents' generation age. Oh, wow. And then looked at it and said, okay, and then as we look ahead at our next 20 years, because the oldest one in the group is almost 20 years older than I am, mm-hmm. and so we were talking about discovering kind of your life mission mm. um, as kind of a, he was talking about the book Halftime, and, but we had this whole conversation. I, I love this book. It's a very spiritual conversation, and we brought up scripture as we were talking, but it was just natural for us to share those things and share where we're 
where we've seen struggles with this, where where we are currently. Um, and so it, I, I think on one end of the spectrum you have discipleship gets defined as it's got to be you're studying scripture and you're learning this and you're memorizing verses and there's that's a piece of it. And then the other end of the spectrum is life groups. What's all oh, we meet for coffee and we talk about life and that's great too. But I think this uh, discipleship group though has got to be the melding of those two ideas, yeah. um, where it's the oh, life on life as well as the biblical background. Because I don't think you can have one without the other when we're talking about real nitty gritty discipleship stuff. Yeah, I had this friend who says that discipleship is a content based relationship, hmm. and well I yeah I, I like it because it tells me that it's not just about the content, which you know honestly that's what we. Th- seen Bible studies for years, right? Here's information from the Bible, I'm going to transmit it to you, and then you're going to have more knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's a Bible study, and we all walk out knowing more stuff. Our life hasn't changed, but we know more things, information. Uh, But when you can take that scripture like you're doing in your group, and you can say, all right, here's what the Bible says, but how am I going to live this out when I'm in an argument with my wife, (laughs) or trying to model for my kids what integrity looks like? Mm -hmm. I think that's where it moves from information to transformation. And I've always... I've always felt like that's the goal anyway. I mean, if, you know, Scripture tells us that. It's not about what you know. It's about how you behave, how you how what you know changes the way you act. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much in there about character, you know, that um, I, I think people get stuck, honestly, in thinking, well, if I just knew more, right. I'd be more Christian or spiritual. What's become the goal, I think, of the Western church is that we're supposed to know more about Jesus versus the goal is supposed to be that we know Jesus more. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.